Pacheco's the running back. Tony comes in motion. Here comes pressure to the outside. As Mahomes steps up, he's going to scramble. He's at the 40, bad ankle, 30, bad ankle, 20. Tackled from behind down to the Eagle 18-yard line, a 25-yard scramble. What bad ankle. I told y'all this week, there's nothing that's going to keep me off that football field. And uh, I just want to shout out my teammates, man. We challenged each other. It took everybody to win this football game. So uh, shout out my teammates, baby. We're Super Bowl champs, baby. Let's go. 703 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Hope you're feeling okay after the big Super Bowl parties that you all attended yesterday. That was Patrick Mahomes. He's probably feeling okay. Maybe his ankle isn't feeling okay. Ah, nothing a little turtle isn't fix. How many drugs do you think they put in him in order to <laughs> finish that game? Uh, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he was clearly sore at half. I saw one tweet that said he was a walking pharmacy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This Super Bowl brought to you by Toradol. Yeah, Toradol. We joke. We laugh. But uh, there, there was a guy that went, he went into the locker room, down 10, limping quite profusely, and then came out and scored on every single drive he had in the second half. To, to be fair, he wasn't limping as badly um, when they showed him uh, walking under the in, inside the stadium, like, yeah. and that was before he could have had any treatment, right. like at half. Yeah, I mean, in the in the immediacy of it, it looked it not looked bad. It looked but, bad. But then he was standing on the sideline pretty quickly, right? And then I think he just got inspired by Rihanna, to be honest, and mm-hmm. he just came out and had a second half. It, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Mike Tannier is patiently waiting on hold. Uh, before we get to him, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders need to tell you that Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of this program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Uh, we'll, we'll do Kintech on the other side. Let's get to Mike right away. We got a lot of NFL to talk, a lot of Super Bowl to talk with our football uh, insider, Mike Tannier, here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Michael. How are you? I'm doing okay. I think they replaced Patrick Mahomes' ankle with a cyber ankle at halftime. I think that's the only explanation for what happened. That story checks out. I like that. Oh, yeah. it just I'm, We're watching replay of the ankle injury right now. That was – okay, so take us back to right before halftime. As you see that the Chiefs are down by a significant margin. Mahomes looks like he might have another ankle injury to deal with. What are you thinking in that exact moment? Well, you're assuming he's going to get that shot of Toradol. He's going to come out like he did a couple weeks ago in the playoff game and try and dink his and dunk his way out of uh, out of trouble. Uh, you know, in the playoff game when he got injured, they already had the lead. The, the Chiefs had the lead. They could dink and dunk. They could establish the run, and so. Yeah, as as somebody who grew up an Eagles fan, lives in, in Philly, it's like, okay, this this is still a very dangerous situation, but a 10-point lead and a quarterback who probably can't move anymore, this is a big advantage for the Eagles. Well, surprise, Patrick uh, <laughs> Mahomes could still move, um, and the dink and dunk uh, plan that Andy Reid put together was the most elaborate, intricate, and brilliant dink and dunk plan in history, and the com- combination of two those two things just put the Eagles in a position where the, you know they were kind of on skates for the rest of the game. I know everyone's talking about the defensive holding penalty, and we will get to that uh, mm-hmm. soon, but I have to wonder how different the game might have gone if not for the Jalen Hurts fumble in the first half because I know that the Eagles did have the Chiefs in a bit of a hole, but they could have had them in a way bigger one. Yeah, and that fumble happens because on third and one during the sneak attempt, Isaac Simolo, the guard, 
jump, uh, false starts, you know, kind of rocks back, gets called for a false start. All the Chiefs get up and point to it. It probably would not have gotten called if the Chiefs don't make this big thing about it, but it was, I mean, it was a false start. So third and one sneak becomes third and six, a more uh, elaborate play. That's when Hertz gets the fumble. So like the, there's this butterfly effect that kicks in that put the Eagles in a position. You're right. Cause that could have, it could have been, you know, 24 seven or something else at halftime. And that might've been a very different scenario. Uh, let's talk about the adjustments made in the second half here, because you mentioned uh, the, the play calling that Andy Reid put together for this to happen. The Chiefs come out down 10 and then score on every single possession that they have in the second half. Um, I thought it was really interesting, too, is that they found some way to effectively run the ball, and it almost felt like it threw the, the, the Eagles off a little bit, especially the early part of the third quarter. Because, again, I'm looking at the script and how this is going to play out. I'm thinking... They're going to have to drop Mahomes back to pass. They're going to have to rally to come back from the 10-point deficit. This is music to the ears of the, the Eagles' pass rush because he's on the limp a little bit. But it just never materialized that way. It never materialized. And, you know, the Chiefs are a capable running team. They have a very good run-blocking offensive line. Pacheco is a good back. McKinnon's a good back. The Chiefs just never bother running the ball. I think Andy Reid, when he sat down and looked at his adjustments, it's like, yeah, I do have to protect Mahomes a little oh, no, I have to run the ball? Ew, yuck, I hate doing that. And yet he realizes, wait a minute, I can do this, it's good, it's going to create second and four, it's going to create second and three, and that's part of it. And the other part of it is, you know, recognizing the over-aggressiveness of what the Eagles were trying to do to take things away created those easy touchdowns, created those situations where, you know, Tony and Sky Moore could go in motion and turn the other way and be wide open because the Eagles are making this crazy adjustment in the other direction. Or the wheel route to Juju Smith-Schuster. The Eagles are trying to play aggressively. They're biting on takes, and they're giving these opportunities. So it was full of opportunities, really, in the second half, where Andy Reid kind of outshines you know, Eagles defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon, and it's like, okay, the chips are down. i got to go to plan B. Look how amazing my plan B is. Um, Andy Reid, we should give him a brief moment of notice here because it is – Pretty impressive what he's done. Very unique career because he achieved great heights with two different franchises. Uh, Only coach in NFL history to have 10 playoff wins with two different teams. And both of them, of course, were playing yesterday. So now he's in that really rarefied era of coaches. Uh, You know, the, the two Super Bowls you're with. Belichick, obviously, Chuck Knoll, Joe Gibbs, Bill Walsh. I guess Jason and I were kicking this around that Mahomes is only 27 years old. It doesn't sound like Reed's going to retire anytime. It feels like he's got a real chance to be number two or maybe even pursue Bill Belichick for a couple of the Belichickian records in terms of that coaching hierarchy. Uh, absolutely. And he's somebody who, you know, if you look at the coaches, you're probably going to put them on the top five. And if you don't put them on the top five, you're probably, maybe you're overrating somebody I would say Chuck Knoll is an example for the Steelers. Like, you had a super team. You won four titles with a super team. That's phenomenal. No one's saying you're a bad coach or not a Hall of Fame coach. But, like, that's one accomplishment. And people like, you know, Reed and Don Shul and Belichick do different things along the way. I'll just say this about Reed. We know what he's doing with Mahomes. I think people remember what he did with, with McNabb. He led teams to the playoffs with Alex Smith. He led teams to the playoffs with Jeff Garcia. Michael Vick just out of just out of incarceration, and they go to the playoffs. Reed has done this with Hall of Fame caliber quarterbacks, near Hall of Fame caliber quarterbacks, and kind of okay quarterbacks. And again, with different franchises, with a host of different coordinators, et cetera. It's an absolutely remarkable and unique career. And one last element of it: it's a unique career and the second greatest coaching family tree, probably in history, besides 
uh, um, Bill Walsh uh, belongs to Andy Reid. Um, did I miss some stuff that Travis Kelsey heard about the Chiefs? Did yeah. everyone did everyone write off the Chiefs? Did everyone think that the Chiefs were like an awful team this season? I, I know that some people picked the Eagles to the win the game, and I know that some people said, well, you know, Buffalo's got a good team, and Joe Burrow's a pretty good quarterback in Cincinnati. But based on the rant that Travis Kelsey went on after the game, it seemed like nobody was giving the Chiefs a shot to win the, the Super Bowl. Well, I'll just jump in. They, they were talking about the pregame, and I don't know if Travis Kelsey saw it or not, but every single person on the Fox panel picked the Eagles. Oh, really? Hey, it was oh, a maybe it was clean that. sweep across the board. <laughs> that was a good rant, though. Yeah. yeah, it's a good rant, and that's surprising because most people I talk to on Radio Row during the week, et cetera, were like, it's nip and tuck. It's going to be a three-point game. You know, some picking Eagles, some picking Chiefs. But I'll tell you, these guys – you know, I, I would hear Brady and Gronk talk about every, how everyone doubted us. So I'd just roll my eyes. This is what these guys do. You know, Travis Kelsey went to some Raiders fan site, you know, in October and, and found something negative about the Chiefs, and he, like, stuck that on his bulletin board or stuck that, you know, uh, you know in his hat or whatever. And that's what he's been thinking about for the last couple of months. So, hey, whatever motivates you to be great, that's great. It doesn't necessarily uh, jibe with reality. We're speaking to Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, Mike, a presentation of the Clayton Public House. He's our Monday morning quarterback. Uh, Mike, you mentioned earlier in the call that uh, you grew up in and around Philly. You followed this Eagles team for a long time. You're familiar with this fan base. How irate, how upset, how legitimately upset should they be on the James Bradbury penalty near the end of regulation? I'm not saying... Uh, that it was a penalty or not, because I think everyone agrees that there was holding there. The question is, yeah. should it have been called, given that that was the first and only defensive holding or defensive pass interference penalty of the entire game? Well, uh, there's a couple of things. Most of what I've been hearing, you know, I, I got to the gym this morning, I got to do some other things, uh, isn't we was robbed of the game. It was we was robbed of the opportunity to get one more chance. Yep. I, I don't think anyone's looking at this and saying, well, that's it. That, that cost us the game. No, but it, I, Eagles fans, I think, legitimately are saying, you know, uh, give, us, give, give Jalen Hurts the ball, three points down, a minute and a half left, make the Chiefs stop them. Maybe it turns into an overtime game. Let's do the rest of this. I think a lot of fans across the country, besides Chiefs fans, are like, yeah, let's, let's keep that game going and not kind of make it end on this uh, ticky-tack penalty. Yes. That's part of the mood in Philadelphia. Another part of the mood in Philadelphia is, People, people look for villains, and people like people turn on the Eagles really fast here. And you know, uh, the local sports talk station, the defensive coordinator Jonathan Gannon, is a persona non grata around here. He is sort of getting scapegoated, and Gannon did not have a good second half. Let's, let's not let's not pretend that he wasn't outfoxed completely by Andy Reid. But there's an attitude here uh, along the lines of, "Oh, Jonathan Gannon's interviewing with the Cardinals." Go, go to Arizona. Goodbye, Jonathan. Bye. Uh, pack your bags now. Um, and, and that's the kind of mentality you get here. I mean, I was here when the, the Eagles fans just vilified uh, Donovan McNabb uh, after the Super Bowl to the point where, like, he, he couldn't he couldn't do a, do anything right in this city. So that's how it goes after a Super Bowl loss. It shouldn't be that way. It should be about the fact that it was an awesome game. Yeah, there was a bad call, but like in the end, it was it was it was a phenomenal ride. So one final Super Bowl question before we move on to the offseason stuff. Um, the ending and how it affected this game. Look, 38-35, to 35, you get a really close game. You get a ton of offense. In Hurts, you get one of the best all-time QB performances in a losing effort. So this yes. game had a, you know, honestly, it should be 
in the pantheon of some of the greatest Super Bowls of all time. You have the best Super Bowl ever index. I saw you were mentioning this on Twitter yesterday, mm. and you said it dropped out of the top 10 with this ending, and I was looking, I'm nodding. I'm like, yep, that ending re- really, really sapped the life out of what could have been a great, compelling not, finish. Not that it was the Chiefs' fault. I mean, they did everything right the way it the way it right. ended. It was the right, the, it was just ground to a halt, and uh, and here's a chip shot for the field goal, and it's over. So it's not. So it doesn't get into the top ten of greatest Super Bowls ever. Yeah, the NFL does three things in that game to get in its own way, and and, and to take away and and tarnish what could have been the greatest game you know of all time. And one was that flag. Two was the every time there's a contested catch, we have to spend five minutes wondering what submolecular uh, 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 replay they're going to find to say it is and isn't a catch, and it makes no, it does not jive in any way with what we saw on the field. And the third was a playing surface, and then this time it was a grass surface, where everyone's slipping and sliding, and you're kind of looking at this and saying, if this game isn't de- de- decided by what's a catch or decided by a flag, it's going to be decided by a slipping and falling defender. Um, and, and, and those are three things that the NFL could fix in a heartbeat. Right. They could to fix all these things so easily. They could spend a little more money on turf. They could clean up the, the catch rules, which they tried to do a couple of years ago and had success with. And they could talk a little bit to the r- r- officials about, you know, under two minutes, it's got to be flagrant, guys. It's got to be flagrant. They could fix those things. They choose not to. I don't think it really affected the outcome of the game, but it affected the attitude of fans toward the game last night. And that's something that the NFL should, should not really tolerate. We're speaking to Mike Tanny, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, and the offseason begins just like that, Mike. And there was actually news yesterday that didn't have anything to do with the Chiefs and the Eagles. And that was the, the, another spin of the old QB carousel. So Derek Carr, who's done with the Raiders, qu- quite obviously, he's not going to waive his no-trade clause. He's not going to accept the trade. And I understand there was something in the works with the New Orleans Saints. He wants to, I guess, control the process and have be released mm-hmm. and then sign anywhere that he pleases. Is he going to be the first domino to fall here? You know what? He probably will be the first domino to fall because they're going to have to put a release in. The Raiders will have to release him. That will make him an out-and-out free agent. There's not a lot of out-and-out free agents uh, in right. in the uh, quarterback carousel. Yeah, Rodgers is not an out-and-out free agent. Lamar Jackson is not. Guys like Geno and Daniel Jones, the franchise tag is sitting there for them. So I could see him be the first domino. Once he's a free agent, we'll see there are going to be a lot of suitors. I don't think the Saints are going to be one of those suitors unless they can really take him at a low-ball offer. I, I think you're going to see a team like the Jets, for example, get real about Aaron Rodgers and his, uh, you know, his darkness retreats and all that. It's like, this is not for us. And say, here's a guy that can come in and make us a playoff team and we can figure out what's next. And I think you're absolutely right. Carr is going to be one of the, probably the first domino to fall. Who's more motivated to make a change? Is it the Green Bay Packers? They're motivated to move on from Aaron Rodgers and give Jordan Love a shot or whatever they want to do. Or is it Aaron Rodgers? Or is there no motivation to make a change in Green Bay? There should have been motivation three years ago to make a change. And I think this is just like the bad marriage where they're used to sleeping in separate beds. Uh, you know, and, and Rogers, Rogers is motivated to be Rogers. Rogers loves the fact that we spent all last week talking about his hyperbolic chamber. He craves this attention. He is really, really into it. And then he loves getting criticized about it. So he can go on the, uh, you know, the McAfee show or the Rogan show and complain about the criticism. So if I were the Packers, I would love, this would be the year. To, to make a clean break and say, hey, you know what? This guy's acting wackier than usual, is more expensive than usual, and the returns are starting to diminish. Let's turn it over to Jordan Love. And yet you can imagine Gutenkeis and, and, and LaFleur and that brain trust getting together and saying, 
if this backfires on us, we're all we're all going to get fired and we're all going to look foolish. So I, this is another off season where it's going to be weeks of weird stories and podcast appearances and you know coffins of darkness and whatever. And I have a funny feeling that come August we're going to be seeing Aaron Rodgers running around in Packers camp again. So he's 39 years old. Um, how much did his play fall off this season? How much has it fallen off over the last three seasons? Because I'm sure some people are going to be looking at the situation that Denver found itself with Russell Wilson. And, you know, people in Seattle and in, in this market watched Russell Wilson closely and were sitting there going, like, he's not as good as he used to be. But mm-hmm. once you get that elite quarterback label, sometimes mm-hmm. it can be hard to shake that. So I'm just wondering, like, what is Aaron Rodgers right now? You know, he's diminished a little, not a lot. I don't think you can put, like, the team falling off this season much on him when there was so much transition at other positions and bad defense and et cetera, et cetera. But I think like Russell Wilson, there's two facets to it. There's what he can accomplish in familiar surroundings with familiar uh, coaches, you know, and a mostly familiar supporting cast, and what happens when you transplant him. And when we saw what happens when you transplant Russell Wilson, it's like, I, I, I'm not going to relate to these guys. I'm not going to communicate with these guys. I'm going to tune out the coaches. The coaches aren't going to know what to do when I tune them out. You're going to get a lot of that with Aaron Rodgers. If you put him in New York and a whole new set of voices in his ear, he will tune them out. He will go to planet, uh, you know, wherever he goes in his brain. And that's what any suitor has to deal with. So with the Packers, he could gracefully decline another year or two. They could be a playoff team. Maybe they put a better defense around them. Who knows what happens? When you transplant Aaron Rodgers, it is extremely unlikely that you're going to suddenly get this bounce back. Oh, it's three or four years ago, and he's the most accurate quarterback in in, in the league. You're probably not going to get that because a big part of that is not physical, but it's mental and emotional. Mike, this has been great. Uh, We want to thank you very much for joining us all season long, breaking down everything on Mondays and what got on in the NFL on Sunday and doing it all throughout the playoffs and then the Super Bowl. Uh, We will bid you farewell, but only for a brief time. I know we'll be rejoined maybe as we get closer to free agency and then, of of course, the draft in April. But for now, on behalf of myself and Jason and the dogs, we do want to thank you very much for doing this. It's great talking football with you every Monday. We really enjoy it, and we look forward to doing it a couple more times in the offseason. And, of course, next season we get started back up again. Absolutely. It's been great spending another season with you guys. And uh, everybody out there, enjoy your offseason. Thank you, Michael. We appreciate it. That's Mike Tannier, our NFL insider from Football Outsiders here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. A presentation of the Clayton Public House for the last time. Oh, What sad. a guy. Yeah. Until, yeah. Until, until like, Mike. Yeah, Mike knows. He, he shows up for his hits. That's mm-hmm. a big part of this. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's a big part of this Just show thing. up. It's 90%. <laughs> 90%. All you got to do, I mean, he knows enough about football. He probably doesn't have to prep that much. Your yeah. best ability is your availability. Yes. Very oh, good, nice. laddie. You just, did you just hear that one for the first time? Yeah. I like that. I like I'm going to start showing up. Yes. Your See, best ability. I feel like that's important. Your best ability is availability. <laughs> we'll have it on a, like a little headboard for you. Yeah, I'm going to send that as a card to Moj. You should. That'd be good. <laughs> yes. Uh, okay. We've got an open segment coming up here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We've kicked around a ton of different Canucks stories already. Uh, there was the loss in Detroit on Saturday. They're back in action again uh, tomorrow night against Detroit. Or sorry, tonight against Detroit. It's Monday. I keep forgetting. Uh, we're not giving away tickets to tonight's game. We're giving away tickets to Wednesday's game against the Rangers. 7 o'clock, Rogers Arena. If you want to be entered into the grand prize draw, and I can't believe we barely had any submissions so far. What's wrong with you people? It's free hockey tickets. Super Bowl hangovers. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. 
Send us what we learned. What did you learn over the last 72 hours in sports? Let us know. Add a ticket emoji, and you'll be entered into the grand prize draw to win a pair of tickets to see the Canucks play on Wednesday night against the Rangers. Canucks are in action tonight against the Red Wings. Uh, things that we learned over the weekend, we've got a couple minutes here. Do we, we should do the golf. I feel like Abbotsford, Nick, Abbotsford's Nick Taylor oh, deserves yeah, a little bit of a shout-out here for what happened at the Waste Management. Now, first off, he was going up against quite literally the best in the game, right? Because mm-hmm. he was playing with John Rahm and Scotty Scheffler, who were yep. one, two in the world. Well, it was a great field yeah. at the Waste Management I Open. Guess... It's because these uh, the Waste Management is one of these elevated tournaments that okay. the PGA Tour brought in in response to the live golf threat. So they basically picked a bunch of popular tournaments and said, you know the purses? They're bigger now. So you can make a lot of money. So Nick Taylor finished second okay. and won over $2 million. Saw that. Right? Nice. So that's that's a nice little Great. payday. And Hadwin was in the top 10 as well. It was a good day for Canadians. It was a good day for Abbotsford. Yeah. It was a good yeah, day yeah, for Ledgeview. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and it was, and it's cool to uh, hear the announcers. I mean, as much as you can tell, like, they don't want this Canadian to win. <laughs> right? They they don't even want this Canadian as part of yeah, they, yeah. they had to, like, constantly remind themselves. like, and don't count out Nick Taylor. Yeah. Well, you seem to be doing it a lot, but uh, regardless, I mean, Scotty Scheffler is a, he's a heck of a golfer, bit of a questionable drop on 16. He definitely used the rules to his advantage to- um, That's what they're there for sometimes. I mean, he didn't even, uh, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but if you watched it, um, you all know that he was able to get a, um, he was able to just like place his ball- um, after he missed the green on 16, the famous uh, par three where everyone goes and throws beers. The beer hole. The I beer hole, basically. Yeah, the beer yeah. hole. Uh, anyway, he didn't hit a good chip, but he hit a great putt to save par. Um, Nick Taylor missed uh, a putt down the stretch, and he missed some shots down the stretch. And Scotty Scheffler deserved to win, but it was a great tournament. I actually probably watched that longer than I watched the Super Bowl because it was it was on early in the morning. On and I'm like, oh, Nick Taylor, he is hanging in there, like he is playing well in this tournament. So it's good to see these Canadian golfers. Um, not only performing well on the PGA Tour, but getting some prime time um, action as well. So, yeah, not to uh, jump too far ahead with this, but you've talked for a while about how great it would be if one of these Canadian players could sort of elevate above the pack and become a real, like, major contender. Hasn't happened yet. Hasn't w- happened yet. Do you think that Taylor will end up being a guy? I only ask because I think he's got, I was reading three top 10 finishes this mm-hmm. year. Yeah. Uh, he hung in yesterday. He beat Phil at Pebble. That was his sort of claim to fame. Yeah, it was a couple of years ago, and yeah. a lot of people thought, okay, maybe this is his jumping off point, but it hasn't happened because it's hard. Yeah. and It's hard to become an elite golfer. It's it's hard. Mm. It's it's hard enough to get on the PGA Tour. And I mean, for a few years, Canada had like pretty much nothing on the PGA Tour. Now sure. they got a bunch of players, and it is great to see Canadians in action and cashing healthy paychecks, but I don't think anyone out there – with maybe the exception of Corey Connors, because he's such a good ball striker, yeah. that would that would make them picks in a major, right? Like, I mean, I we saw we saw the president's uh, the president's cup too, right? Like the Canadians were there, but they didn't play well. Yeah, they're no, not. They haven't reached that level yet. They haven't reached the level that some of the women golfers have. Yeah, no, that that's fair. And I yeah, I, like I was Brooke just Henderson is legit. She's elite on the women's side. Yeah, None right. of the men are yet. 
Right. That, that, yeah, at every major, every big tournament, she's one of the betting favorites, right? I mean, that's kind of where you Yeah, I mean, it right? depends on form and all that yeah. sort of thing, but she's one of the big names on the yeah. LPGA. Yeah. Uh, okay, uh, we've got a open segment coming up on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, so it's a good time to remind you to get your Wobby Learns in. You can win some tickets. You can have your chance to be on the radio. 8 o'clock, we're going to talk to iMac. We'll dive deep into the Vancouver Canucks stuff. There's a new 32 Thoughts out right now, maybe some updates on Luke Shen and the trade situation there. Mm-hmm. And Brock Besser as well. We'll play some audio from Freege coming up next on the Halford and Brock Show on Sportsnet 650. Hitting the most important topics for Vancouver sports fans. The People's Show with Vic Nazar. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Besser, I do think they're trying to move him. I do think that he wants to get moved. I think he'd like to go to Minnesota. I think Minnesota likes the idea of him. I do think they talked about a like a green way for Besser kind of deal. 7.33 on a Monday. Happy Monday, everybody. Although, judging from some of our texters, some of you may have overindulged at Super Bowl yesterday. You see the texts. I see the texts. Are you a big drinker at Super Bowl parties? It wasn't yesterday. Yeah, neither am I. I actually like to watch the games. So, yeah. I mean, I can I can do both. I've trained my body mm-hmm. like a ninja. <laughs> no, but you don't want to get like to the point where you're super hungover the next. There day, was know? a time where, and it was mostly in my early twenties, where it was you know you got the the boys have been waiting for a week, and right. your pre gaming starts like right at noon mm-hmm. for a three o'clock kickoff, and by the time kickoff comes around, you're like, ooh. <laughs> I may be in the bag already. Yeah. Like that. What are even the rules to this game? Yeah, you don't know me. <laughs> Pay me for my squares. And Just then... calling pass interference on every play. Yeah, that pretty... was a, it was a draw play. Yeah. One's the Brianna concert. <laughs> Brianna. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I think some people are probably still. You in know, that if I didn't have a girlfriend, <laughs> yeah. I'd take a run at her. Could have been me. <laughs> With um... <a> five dollars. <laughs> So, uh, or, you know, like, I think there's some of our listeners, though, that are still very much in that mindset. So there's one text coming in. It's like the best post-game meal is Tums. I used to be there. Brother, I used to be there. I used mm-hmm. to just crush the Tums. Yeah. No, 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 no. You're not a Zantac guy? Uh, Zantac's oh, off the market. Loved Here Zantac. Yeah. Uh, Gaviscon, never... man. Gaviscon. That's my It's my nowhere. Go-to. You can't find it anywhere. Yeah. Are you uh, in America? You can't go down. I had to go into like Silk Road to find <laughs> it. <laughs> Back alley dealings. You can only. I, I had to spend all my Bitcoin on Zantac. <laughs> I bought two NFTs and some Zantac. It was great. <laughs> um, uh, now, where, where was I? You threw me off kilter with your Zantac talk. Oh, the hangovers <laughs> from yesterday. Someone else said that their body is just revolting against them this morning, and it really should be a holiday. Yeah, I came to the realization that holiday or no. It wouldn't matter to us because it's not like we can take the holiday day, the day after the Super Bowl. Like, if you work in sports talk radio, you kind of have to show yeah. up. No, I don't, like it could be any unless you're Moj. Unless you're Moj, right? Unless you're Unless you're at the Super Bowl, yeah. Mm-hmm. In which case, you don't have to show up anyway. Okay, real quick. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of the program is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier metal recycler. Pays the highest prices on scrap metal. 
North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Tell them about Kintech. Uh, well, we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Let's get into some Elliot Friedman audio, uh, because the most recent 32 Thoughts podcast, that the kids say it dropped. Word. It is dropped. And there is a Canucks section. The Canucks are no longer like front and center mm-hmm. anymore the, in the back East news. Like Drama the, in the desert is actually the title yeah. for this Oh, one. right. So, so the desert is the headline. Okay, yeah. but that's a play on the Super Bowl being in the desert. And then there was also a Jacob Chikrin situation, which we can get into. Also, uh, We kind of mentioned this already. But here's uh, what Frege had to say on a couple of Canucks that are in the headlines in terms of uh, the trade deadline, which is coming up on March 3rd, Luke Shen and Brock Besser. I have heard the Shen one could happen at any time. The way he plays, he he, the, he risks getting hurt because he plays a tough game. Yeah. And I, I heard that when he got missed the game this week, things kind of accelerated. Like people were saying, okay, we better get him because we don't want him getting hurt there. And I think Vancouver's like, we don't need him getting hurt here. I, I do think that this accelerated. It's one of those really tough things because I, I had people say to me yesterday, they think it, it, it's really close, but then other people remind you like, it's not done until it's done. Like I think Calgary's there. I think Boston's there. I think Toronto's been there. I have a sneaking suspicion, and again, it's just a suspicion because I think Dubas is trying to do everything he can to confuse people as to what he's up to, including nosy reporters. Just the intel is saying he's looking at a forward first. Again, I could be proven to be totally wrong about this, but on Saturday afternoon when I was prepping for the show, that's kind of where I thought they were. And maybe it changes, and maybe that's wrong. We'll see. I think that's what Toronto's thinking. So I think a player like Shen has kind of been pushed to the background for then. I was asking everybody I, I spoke to on Saturday, who's the next player to move? And this was before Arizona sent out that tweet. Most people said Shen. They thought that Shen was the next guy to go. We'll see where this ends up. Now, the other thing here, too, is it's been reported now Shen's wife is due to give birth right around the deadline. Mm-hmm. And I do think Vancouver is trying to take that into consideration. So that adds another layer to this. That's good. But he's he's the guy I think everyone's looking at. You know, Besser, I do think they're trying to move him. I do think that he wants to get moved. You know, as I, to- as I told you on Friday, I-, I think this Minnesota thing is too complicated I think he'd like to go to Minnesota. I think Minnesota likes the idea of him. I do think they talked about a like a Greenway for Besser kind of deal. I just don't think it's going to work. The, the one thing about Besser is I had heard that Vancouver kind of thought that Meyer would go first and then Besser would go. But I had another GM tell me, don't ride that with next month's mortgage payment because there are teams out there that know they're not getting Meyer who will just who will look at Besser. So the hard thing for me to figure out is Besser, mm-hmm. an acquisition for a team that wants to load up for the playoffs, or is this more of a, hey, we've got a distressed asset here, maybe we can find some value in this player. Like, what kind of a deal is it? Because Sounds from, like it's teetering back and forth between yeah, both, if we're being honest. Because from a Canucks perspective, I kind of think maybe this is just easier to deal with in the offseason. 
this is a sizable cap hit we're talking about. Brock Besser has um, two years after this year left on his contract with a cap hit of six point six five million. Mm-hmm. Like, that is a big chunk of change. Now, with Minnesota, there have been people that have suggested, well, just trade him for Dumba in Minnesota, and Dumba's cap hit is six million, so you can you can do that. Mm-hmm. But then Mike and I kind of were like, yeah, but they use Dumba a lot. Like he plays over twenty minutes a night in Minnesota, yeah. and even if he has been a healthy scratch or maybe if his play isn't great, like then they would have to replace whatever he was bringing in terms of ice time. Yeah. Um, as for Luke Shen. Um, we've all heard the news that his his wife is expecting, and they just want they just want some stability. They know they want to know where she's going to deliver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know there are rules about uh, or recommendations about how how long you can fly on a plane. Um, like I, I don't know, was it eight months or something like that? I, I don't know. Whoever. I don't know. I didn't research this part. I don't. I don't know. I've never been pregnant before. I mean, still fingers crossed. But yeah, um, science the, is incredible these days. The Canucks. Uh, they made a movie about that. With Arnold Schwarzenegger, right. wasn't it's not the baby. Um, <laughs> so not the Duma. So the Canucks play. <laughs> Those are different movies. Uh, completely, just <laughs> turn your mic off for a sec. The Canucks play Detroit tonight. The Rangers Wednesday. Giving away tickets. And then Saturday they've got a home game against the Philadelphia Flyers. So I assume that you know, like what Fridge is reporting, that this Luke Shen deal could go down at any point. Um, the question for me is, well, there's a couple, right? I mean, the Canucks could ultimately decide not to trade him. And maybe the news we get is that he's been signed to a contract extension. That, that is cra- the that debate. Would cra- that would be crazy. But it does sound like it's trending towards a trade. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not Luke Shen would still be open to re-signing in the offseason, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. I'm curious what he's worth yep. on the trade market. I think I'm going to be disappointed with anything less than a second round draft pick. Second round draft pick is where I'm where I'm uh pegging my expectations. Yeah, I guess you could try and mine someone's organizational prospect pool and get an actual tangible player in return, a young one that hasn't made it to the NHL yet. But I think the understanding is that Shen has played himself and elevated his worth to the point where you're going to get something good in return for him, especially at the deadline. I go back to those other deals that I alluded to earlier. Now, I think Sherratt and Savard, I think were the two most recent ones to get traded. Different scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, just They just are. Although, honestly, I don't think there's that big of a difference between Sherratt and Shen and what they're going to bring to the team. Teams sometimes, again, we've mentioned this numerous times on the show, it only takes one, and oftentimes there's that one guy that is willing to come out of his boots to make a deal. And that, by that, I'm talking about general managers. So for Shen, there's a real opportunity to not necessarily hit a home run, but make that whole scenario, bringing him back on a one-year deal, very cheap contract, him elevating his game, you being able to flip him and getting a good tangible asset in return, and then maybe him coming back. It could be a real feather in the cap of management, but I agree with you. I think there's a bar now that's been set, and it could be around a second rounder. As for Besser, I know that everyone wants the Minnesota thing to happen. Hell, I want it to happen because I think it would be great for him. I mm-hmm. think he's, it's been a really tough go the last couple of years. I think I think him going home and being reinvigorated could really put some oomph back in his game and could make that $6.5 million, $6.65 million cap hit seem a lot more manageable 
and a lot more attainable in terms of are you living up to your contract. I just don't know if it's going to work. Mm-hmm. You don't even have to be a really savvy, cap-friendly analyst. or <laughs> any. Like, you can just be a very casual observer of the, the finances of the game and say, it doesn't make a lot of sense for Minnesota financially right now. That's a big ticket to take on. Maybe there's a couple deals that kind of make sense, but you really have to talk yourself into them. I suppose the Dumba thing would be, yeah, we're willing to move them because we don't want to see a unrestricted free agent walk for nothing in the offseason. But at that point, you're saying, well, well, then what are your goals as an organization? Because trading Dumba doesn't really make you better in the immediacy, and this is very much a team that wants to be in the playoffs. Well, I just wonder um, if they might be telling the Canucks, the Wild, hey, just give us the time up until the trade deadline because we don't know what we are right now. Sure. It seems to be, now this could all change, but it looks like it's headed towards Calgary and Minnesota fighting each other for the last wild card spot. If you look Things at the- will yeah. change, right? Mm-hmm. And in a month, that might be totally different. But the way the Edmonton Oilers are playing, uh, albeit they had a bit of a stinker in Montreal the other day, like they're looking pretty good right now. Yep. They're, six, they're 65 points. They're five points up on Minnesota and Calgary. Um, for a time, it looked like they might be in danger of maybe missing the playoffs, but I think most people kind of assumed, yeah, the Oilers will figure it out. They might not be great, but they'll figure it out enough to get to the playoffs. Same thing with the Colorado Avalanche. Although the Avs are still, they're not certainly not guaranteed anything right now. Uh, L.A. and Seattle I'm not going to guarantee that they're going to make the playoffs just quite yet, sure. but they are looking pretty good. They've got a nice, they got a decent sized cushion in terms of the playoffs. I'm just not sure how good they are. Well, I think the but thing Minnesota is Minnesota and Calgary, it looks like those two teams are uh, kind of scuffling for that last spot. And frankly, I'd ch- probably choose the Flames to make the playoffs over Minnesota if I had to choose one. The caveat there is that Marky's got to figure out his game. Yeah, big time. Because I don't think you can rely on Dan Vladar down the stretch. But the interesting thing is that in a month, or even last now, three weeks, when the trade deadline finally gets here, like, Minnesota's going to be in the hunt. Like I would be stunned if they go on this extended – or they're, all, they're in a bit of a slump right now anyway, but an extended streak to where they play themselves out. Like I know that – you know, you said, oh, maybe give us a little bit more time to figure out what we are. It could be give us a little bit more time to figure out if we, you know, to get our finances down. Like every day that comes off the calendar comes a little bit less for Brock Besser's price tag. Again, Minnesota really does make sense for him. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's almost like the Carlson thing. It makes sense for him, but I don't know if it makes sense for the Wild. And that's like the Carlson thing in Edmonton. Like it makes sense for Edmonton. It does because Edmonton needs a guy like that on its blue line. But it doesn't really. Is Tyson Berry not there anymore? I mean, he's just, he's so ineffective now. Carlson's yeah. that's a Norris caliber defenseman no, you're getting. Can you imagine their power play? <sighs> no, not really. I mean, they'd be <laughs> they'd be racking it on a regular basis. The interesting thing is that it makes sense for one party, but could you imagine if you're San Jose and they're telling you that you have to eat four million of this deal for the next four years? That's a Good roster player, mm-hmm. $4 million a cap hit for each of the next few years. But that's the only way Edmonton can afford it. Yeah. Otherwise, they can't. I mean, it's so cut and dry from the Oilers' point of view. Like, we have a certain amount of money. This is a great player, but he's got a really onerous contract. So then you start saying, well, 
if you're San Jose and you're Mike Greer, okay, can we do this? Yes. How much is it going to cost? You're looking at Edmonton. You're saying you're going to have to pony up big time for this because this is not only us giving you a Norris caliber defenseman for this year, but we're basically carrying half the freight for the next little bit. So it's very, very confusing. And again, you can talk yourself into these deals. Besser to Minnesota, Carlson to Edmonton, but it actually needs to happen. And that's tough. Um, what do we, and then we got the Chikrin deal, right? Yeah, and I know that Frege addressed this over the weekend. I don't know if we've got the audio for that, but uh, Chikrin, it looked like he was going to the LA Kings, and it looked like the piece going back to Arizona could have been Brant Clark. Yep. And we had brought up Brant Clark as, uh, hey, do you think the Canucks could get him in a potential Thatcher Demko trade? And I suggested probably not. Like, that would be a bridge too far. Mm-hmm. And this all comes back to how hard it is to find defensemen versus goalies. Yep. And I'm not suggesting that it's easy to find a really good goalie, but I'm suggesting it's easier to find a really good goalie than it is to find a really good young defenseman. And perhaps what the Kings are thinking is, well, I don't want to give up Brant Clark, but Jacob Trickin is a good young defenseman. Cost controlled. And we are in a window right now. I don't think anyone looks at the Kings and they're like, that's like a serious Stanley Cup contender. But they're in a window of sorts, right? Mm -hmm. They've got some good young players. They've also signed some veterans. They have Kopitar and Doughty still. And they've got Kevin Fiala and Philip Deneau. Like, these are guys that they have signed with the expectations of winning now. And maybe they see Jacob Trickerin as this upgrade because obviously Brant Clark is not playing for them right now. Yeah. So they bring in another top four defenseman and go, hey, we had a chance here. If you're looking at the West right now, who are you really scared of? Seriously. Like Dallas looks good. Dallas does. Look Dallas good. looks good. Um, I think, I mean, Winnipeg's having a great season, but I don't think they're just like this like unbeatable force in Winnipeg. Colorado has injury issues, and they've kind of been scuffling all season. Yeah. Kale McCarr's hurt now. They're the one that scares me, if you're, to answer your question. But, they but, are the but, one that scares Okay, me. but if you're looking at the Pacific Division, if you're the LA Kings, I was looking at this yesterday and going, man, the Oilers are going to make another conference finals. Just based on uh, Vegas seems to be running into more and more issues every, every day. Who knows if Mark Stone's going to be ready for the playoffs for he's, them? He's not. Now they've got now they got Logan Thompson, or and if he is, what level is he going to be? Now their goaltender Logan Thompson has an injury and he's week to week, and it doesn't sound like he's going to be back anytime soon. The interesting thing with Vegas for me, if is- I'm the Oilers, I'm like expectations are a rematch in the conference final, probably with Colorado, but maybe it's going to be with Dallas. I I, I would I, right now I would actually put Vegas more likely than Edmonton because they've got the organizational mandate. Like if if Stones on LTIR. Until the playoffs, because by the way, this is exactly what Colorado is doing with Linus Cog as well. It gives you that flexibility to go out and be super aggressive. And who's been the most aggressive team over the last three or four years? Like it's been Vegas. Like any anytime someone comes up and available, Vegas is at the forefront. Could they go? Up, could they come out of their shoes to try and do something? Yeah, they've got that that organizational philosophy where it's if there's a big big prize available that they'll go out and get it. Right? You mentioned Thompson being out, too. They do have a, a nice backup option in Aiden Hill, who is an NHL goaltender. So mm-hmm. I guess he is an NHL goaltender. Yeah, I wouldn't. Well, <laughs> there's certain teams that we follow here, Mike, that don't have one NHL goaltender on their roster. There's so a difference between They have two in Vegas, is well, what my point is. What did you guys make of the 
Tyler Myers to Toronto. Not much. I mean, I guess it's I was there. shocked by that. Boudreaux, uh, address- so Bruce Boudreaux made his debut on NHL Network last week. He's now mm. an analyst. He's back on our side of the table. And he mentioned it during one of his hits where they were talking about what he remembered from his time with Myers. I tried to find the audio, but I couldn't track it down. So I'll paraphrase. Basically, was very complimentary of Myers' game. Uh, said that he thought Toronto would be a great fit. He acknowledged the contract potentially being an issue. And then, you know, rather cleverly you know, uh, alluded to the fact that there's history there with the two teams making deals with the Travis Dermott trade earlier. So I'm like, oh, good job, Bruce. Good analysis there. But I don't know. For I mean, me, the big story here is the bonus that Tyler Myers is due uh, for next season. It's right. a $5 million bonus. So his actual salary next year after that bonus is paid is just a million bucks. So... Financially speaking, what are the Canucks thinking here? Because if, if, you know, as a fan, you would hope that the Canucks would sit there and go, okay, we'll pay the bonus, pay the five million bucks. And then in theory, you should be able to get more for Tyler Myers after that bonus is paid because there will be some teams in the offseason that'll be like, wow, you know, like one million dollar defenseman that can play. Yeah. Right. And that's that. The, not cap hit. His cap hit would still be six million bucks. But then, if you're the Canucks, you're probably like, I don't want to pay him that bonus. No, I want to trade him before that bonus is due. I think right now, looking at the deadline and looking at the major surgery that Jim Rutherford is hoping to uh, conduct on this team, I think to be honest, if you want to like power rank the likelihoods, I actually think that conceptually, moving Myers is going to be easier than moving. Besser because I think there's more inherent value in what Myers would bring to a team on the way to the playoffs. Right now, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, for all of his flaws as a player, he still except those flaws. He's still six foot seven, and he and he he would be more valuable in a playoff type situation where they won't call as many penalties. That'll be nice for him on a personal level. I mean, the, you could turnovers talk, would have to be. Limited, you could though. talk yourself into it. You say, um, well, on a team with more structure, he's he's not going to be quite as as chaotic. As he was in Vancouver. Yep. I still think it's going to be a tough thing for the Canucks to do. And you, you bring in the same questions that you have with Brock Besser. Would the Canucks have to retain salary sure. in order to move him out? And then, by the way, there's also the question of, and, and not that I'm against moving Tyler Myers, don't get me wrong here, who are you going to replace him with? Like <laughs> this, yeah. is, You know what's so funny in Vancouver is that we've been so focused on um, moving salary out that we haven't even had time really to like talk about. Okay, well, <laughs> who's going to come in and play defense? Well, I'm at the right? po- I'm at the point where the defense needs such a major overhaul that it's almost. I, it sounds just stupid. break stuff. Just break, break stuff. Yeah, yeah, like you're in the you're in the <laughs> yeah, demo totally. part of the renovation, right? Like yeah. you call your buddies over, you get a six pack, and you're like, pick up a sledgehammer. We're taking down that wall. Like yeah. that's where you're at. And at maybe a wall gets rebuilt. Maybe it doesn't. Yeah, we don't need the wall. It's not a load bearing <laughs> wall. It's a, you know. So you look at it, and you're saying, yeah, just change the group again. I openly had a conversation this morning where I suggested that the penalty kill 
could dip below 60% on the season. I'm behind it. The goal for the push for 60. <laughs> that to me is just blow it all up territory. Like you're so historically bad. It doesn't necessarily matter what the new pieces look like. You just need to get rid of the current ones. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, we got iMac coming up next. He's going to join us. This is your home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. Ian McIntyre is going to join us ahead of tonight's Canucks game. Seven o'clock from Rogers Arena. It is a Wiener. I called it an Awena. Watches Awena. Yeah, I love the Awena. Uh, it is 7 o'clock, Red Wings, Canucks. Uh, we're not giving away tickets to tonight's game, but we are giving them away to Wednesday's game, which is also at the Awena, known as Rogers. Uh, 7 o'clock, New York Rangers are in town. Uh, we're giving away tickets. The Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Text your what we learns with a ticket emoji in to 650-650. You will be entered into the grand prize draw. That's all coming up in an action-packed final hour of the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. And that was a game in Nationwide Arena.